you guys who are watching online, it's an honor that you would take time to hang out with us this morning. And for you in the room, if you're visiting with us the first day, it's an honor to have you here. And I want you to know that we expect nothing from you. Our service, our home, our houses are out here are just are open to you. There's, we're not expecting you to give. We're just expecting you to come and enjoy and hopefully encounter God in a, in a new way. Well, we're going to start a new series this morning, and this is probably one of the longer ones that we've done. And you'll see why in a minute. But we're going to start it today, and it will take us through Easter. And uh, to what I, what I tell our team, and when I, we think about it, to me, Easter is like the Super Bowl Sunday for, for Christians. It's a day not only that church is full, because people feel kind of obligated to come, but I think it's a day that if we really are honest about it, um, it should be the day we celebrate the loudest, that we make the most noise, we worship a little louder, we're a little more vocal, we're a little more um, large in our worship and demonstrating that worship. And so what we're going to do is we're, gonna, we're going to go over the next, that's actually six days, but we're going to do it, or seven days, we're going to do it in six Sundays leading up to Easter. We're going to talk about what's known as Passion Week. And we're going to talk about the Bible gives us record of every day of the week before Jesus goes to the cross. And there's lessons to be learned about each one. There's stuff you need to listen to. So here's kind of what we're going to do. Sunday is t- what we'll start today is Jesus' entry, his, his walking into Jerusalem. The Bible tells us how Jesus told the disciples, I'm heading to Jerusalem. They didn't understand what for. Monday, Jesus clears the temple. If you remember the story from maybe Sunday school or Jesus is flipping over tables and fussing at people. Tuesday, Jesus is teaching on the, olive, on the uh, Mount of Olives. It's a, it's a famous sermon that Jesus does in the Bible. Wednesdays, there's not a whole lot of scripture. Most uh, theologians believe that Jesus was actually with Martha and Mary and that he was resting knowing what was coming in the following days. Thursday is where we, we commonly know it as the Last Supper. That's where Jesus goes to the upper room and has the, the, uh, the first communion with the disciples. Although, again, they didn't, they didn't understand what was going on. And then Friday is when Jesus is put on the cross. The devil thinks he's won. And then going into Saturday, the Bible actually tells us on Saturday, Jesus was actually in the grave. He was actually in the, in the Bible gives very, very specific in the, in the pit of hell fighting for us. But for us who are here, it's really a day of waiting and wondering. Is it, did Jesus, is he gone? The people at the time thought Jesus was dead and gone and it was over with and their hopes were crushed. For us, some of us are in those Sundays where life is just, is God even going to show back up again? And then on Sunday, of course, Easter Sunday is Resurrection Day. Jesus says, comes out and says, I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he's paid the price for our sin. And then we'll be celebrating Easter on, on that day. But I think these things are important. And here's why. Because if you look at the life of Jesus in the New Testament, for those of you who maybe the Bible's new to you, which is fine, you're learning. If you look in the middle of the Bible and find Matthew, from the book of Matthew forward, that is the New Testament. Well, Jesus' first 30 years of life are only talked about in four whole chapters. Just four. But the last week of Jesus' life accounts for 29 chapters. Now, when you think God's trying to tell us something, he's trying to tell us what's important, and that last week of, God's, of Jesus' life is what we call Passion Week. 
We celebrate it on Good Friday coming up, all the things preparing for Easter. This whole week is about his love for us, and not just his love, but his demonstrated love. And you'll see in a minute there's a difference. It's about him demonstrating his passion for us, his passionate, the most selfless act ever seen in all humanity that one man laid his life down for all of us. There's nothing that even comes, comes close. The Bible tells us in John, we all see the verse, people holding up the sign in John 3.16, for this is how God loved the world. He loved the world, not just some of us, but all of us. He gave his only son. God sent the one thing he had that couldn't be replaced. There's not another. There was no plan B. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Not only did he do that, he did that while we still had our life in the mess. While you and I still didn't have our act together. The Bible says in Romans 5.8 that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And here's this key phrase I want you to key on today because it's going to be important. He Say this word with me. This demonstrates. Say it with me. This demonstrates. Now the problem with a lot of us is demonstrating or being demonstrative looks different for everybody. I know some of you, when I say you're a demonstrative person, that's an under, understatement. You know anybody like that? That everything's big, everything's big, everything's a big deal. Their hands are big, their motions are big, their actions, are at, when they come into church, they're, they're big and loud. And, and then on the other hand, you have some of us who are more reserved. You're not as demonstrative. But see, Jesus didn't choose to be less demonstrative for us. He gave his all. He demonstrated his love for us in the most... Uh, the highest way possible. You see, God's passionate demonstration for us demands something. It demands a, a passionate response. Anybody ever got a big gift? I always laugh at Christmas time when you see the, uh, it's usually like a Lexus commercial or some real expensive car. And the husband comes in, it's like, honey, I got you a surprise, it's in the garage, and the Christmas, or outside, and there's a big giant red bow on a, you know, $100,000 Lexus. What is that wife's response? What does she demonstrate? She's big, wow, you know, she hugs the car. Now imagine that commercial different. Honey, I got you something for Christmas, look at this, and it's a big $100,000 Lexus with a big bow on it. And she walks out and goes nice. Both are demonstrating, but what are they demonstrating? She may actually like it and think it's nice, but how does he perceive that? She's not too, she's not too impressed. God's gift to us demands, his passionate response to us demands a passionate response back from us. And that's what worship is. That's what Jesus was happening when Jesus, as we begin to talk about Passion Week, he comes into Jerusalem and the Bible tells the story in all four Gospels, but we're going to read out of the book of Luke. In Luke 19, it says, Jesus went on to Jerusalem, walking ahead of the disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead and said to them, Hey, go to the village. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey. No one's ever ridden on it. And then he gives them this crazy statement. And I want you to think about us doing this. Jesus said, hey, go in there. You're going to find this donkey. 
Just untie it and take it. And oh, by the way, if somebody asks about it, just tell them the Lord needs it. Now, if I took off on one of y'all's vehicles out here and just said, I'll be back in a week, the Lord needs your vehicle. What are y'all going to do? You're going to be on 911. Hey, the preacher man just stole my vehicle. He's going down 301, go get him, right? Here, God, Jesus tells them to go find this. And it says, so they went and found the colt in verse, verse 32, just as Jesus has said. And as sure as they were told, they untied it, and somebody asked him, why are you taking my colt? Why are you taking my ride? I hadn't even been on it yet. And look, they respond and say what Jesus told them to say. Disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. Verse 35, so they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their garments over it for him to ride. And what you need to know about this situation as Jesus was coming in, this would have been during uh, leading up to the Passover. And all of this was prophesied, and I put it on the screen for you because I wanted you to hear this. 400 years before Jesus showed up in Jerusalem, a prophet named Zechariah prophesied this, and in Zechariah in the Old Testament, in Zechariah 9.9, it says, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. He says, look, your king is coming. He's righteous and victorious, and he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. That's 400 years before Jesus showed up. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back a few weeks. We did a series on how you can trust the Bible, and I went through every one of these prophecies of how we know they're true. And all the prophecies of Jesus came true. Look what it says as it continues in Luke. It says, as he went along, people began to spread their coats, cloaks and cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began. Now, I highlighted this back here, and I want you to read this with me. The disciples began. The disciples began. Now, back to the talking about the car is, oh, wow, that's nice. Or, oh, my God, wow, I can't believe you did that. Which one of those seems joyful? Yeah, but when we come in today, praise, da-na-na, 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 da yay. And we kick in, now here, wah. You're late. Yeah, you're late. That was a good song. I love that. Did anybody believe that? I, I ain't looking at nobody. You can ask the, the, the team. There's a reason we turn out lights. See, the Bible says that they were joyfully to praise God. And then read this next section. To praise God in a... Say the word like it's meant to be said. In a... Yeah. Like when your child's not listening. Hey, come back. Hey, stop. Hey, wait. Hey, no. Mama don't yell at you like that. Right? Mama says, hey, stop. Come back. If you do that again, I'm going to... 
We don't whisper those words. Unless you're in public and you don't want to get, de- you know, defects to come take your kids. <laughs> then you whisper. But it says they were joyful and they said it out loud. And they thanked him for the miracles they had seen. Jesus had raised people from the dead. He had healed blind eyes. It goes on in verse 38 and says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, here's what you need to know. Not only was it 400 years, that as they came in Jerusalem, there would have been millions of Jews there because it was the week leading up to Passover. And for Passover, they all came back to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover. So there's all these people screaming for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Loud voices. Thank you for the miracles. But you know what? Five days later, those same million people were also the ones screaming, crucify him. The same people. What happened? Even as it was going on, and Luke continues in 1939 there, says some of the Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. This is a nice way to tell them to shut up. Hey, they don't need to be doing this. And Jesus has this reply. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, this version says the stones, some versions say the rock, if I stay quiet and nobody on earth today praises God, the Bible tells us that the rocks outside are going to get loud. That ought to make some of us wake up a little bit. That when we, go, when we come to worship, yes, we have our personalities. And I'm not asking anybody to be anything outside their personality. What I am asking you to do is do we give God our all? Because the Bible says if we don't, the rocks are going to cry out. And as I was thinking about this week, thinking about this first day starting as Jesus was coming in, I began to understand this. We're in the process now. We have been for a while. Um, we're really trying to add staff. We're, just, we're growing and we're working on hiring, actually hiring a worship leader. And it's coming in the future. God will take care of it and get us there. But I begin to realize this, as I've kind of thought about this and talked with people who might come, that there's a battle for our worship. There's a battle in our spirit. There's a battle in our life. There's a battle in us trying to make us be quiet for God. It shouldn't be acceptable for us to be quiet. That God demonstrated his passion for me and you by doing something very loud, very vocal. The ultimate sacrifice. But this battle for our worship, other things that we're passionate about. Because here's the truth. We all worship something. Even people who say, well, I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic or I'm whatever religion. I don't worship anything else. Nothing else has control of me. I call bull. We all worship something. See, your passion is going somewhere. It's going into your effort, your time, your money, your attention. God never said you can't love something else or someone else. God never said that you couldn't be passionate about whatever hobby it is. He said, just don't put them in my chair. They can't sit... They can't sit in my seat. The best mental image that I had somebody describe to me one time was at our table there's my seat and then there's a a second seat. So I sit down at it as a table in my life and this seat right here is not for Melanie. This seat right here is not for my kids. 
that seat is for God. That God comes into my house and Melanie's sitting in that seat, I think God's just going to stand there. Not because he's being rude, not because he's being ugly, but he says, listen, I am who I am. I never change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can't sit in that second chair. I have to sit number one in your life. Number one at your table. Kenny talked about it last week, the table. He has to be number one. Yet we don't worship like he is. He just doesn't want something else above him. So you'll have these religious types tell you, you can't love this, you can't be passionate about this, you can't play travel ball, you can't do all this. That's not what God's saying. But what he is saying is, who's sitting in my seat? What are you worshiping? We all worship the things that we're passionate about. I see it every Sunday. I mean, every Saturday in the fall. I've sat and watched Georgia games with some of you people. And if you made as much noise for Kirby Smart and the dogs and make that much noise for God, wow. If we made that much excitement about the TV shows or whatever it is we're doing, and I mean, I've seen, I've heard stories of people watching like the, the drama shows and they're screaming back at the TV like those people can hear them. Well, they can't hear you and they certainly didn't save you. Yet, the passion goes there. We get loud, we get vocal for people who never do anything for them. Do we worship God the same way? Because see, here's what's truth. Worship is our response to what, gives, what we give the highest value to. I have a, a 14-year-old, and Mel and I have been talking about it the next few years, about having to find her a car. I hope she sees when we get a car out there for her, whatever it, it may be, that she sees how much we value her because of what we're doing. How much, how much value she has to us. But that value in her life, her values can never have anybody sitting in the second seat. I don't want, her, I don't want to be first in, in, the, in her life. She needs to have God first. See, our worship is what we respond and what we give the highest value to. And it makes a difference in our lives because what I worship directs my life. And what directs my life shapes my life. And what shapes my life is what you become. Did you get that? You're all looking at me. Let's back up and do that again. Do it for me again. What I worship directs my life, which way I'm going. What directs my life shapes my life, makes me into what it wants me to be. And what shapes me is what you become. Now, I don't know about you. But if i got to have something shaping me, I want it to be the one who created me. Now, am I perfect at that? No. I think God's still shaping me. He's, he, I'm fighting him, but he needs to do some work. And I joke, but on the inside, i got mess to deal with just like everybody else. What's shaping me is the one who created me. See, if you don't like what life looks like, if you don't like where you are, then I'm going to challenge you to do this and take stock of what you worship. For some of us, you can tell what you worship by the line items on your bank statement. For some of you, you can tell what you worship by how much time you spend doing the things you do or the things you don't do. That we take stock of who we worship. What does that worship look like? Maybe it's time to change some things. Worship God with higher value. Show some passion. That religious 
there were these religious teachers and they were debating Jesus in Mark chapter 12. And one of the teachers of the law saw Jesus standing there, listened to his debate, and he realized, hey, he's given us some good answers. So he was trying to stump him. And he said, God, of all the commandments, Lord, he said, Lord or Master, what they were to call him at the time, which is the most important? Of all the rules and all the laws, Jesus said to them, the most important commandment is this. The Lord your God is one, and there's only one God. In other words, I'm it. In verse 30, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's what he's after. John chapter 4 actually tells us that Jesus is actually looking, the Father's, sorry, God's looking for people. John chapter 4 says, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father's looking for those who are going to worship him that way. So what does it actually look like? What is this worship? What is, what is God looking for? If y'all know me, you know that I like to make things simple. Cookies on the bottom shelf so we can all kind of wrap our brains around it. So this is not deep theological. So what is he looking for? You see, God wants us to worship him with your affection. Your heart, your soul. In other words, he wants love to be expressed. I'm going to go this far and say this. I even put it on the screen for you. That love that's not expressed is not love. I, I, I personally believe if I say I love my wife, then I need to be doing it in some fashion of our life to be showing her that I love her. Because I can say it, but does saying it, does saying it let her feel it? No. Serving her. Acts of kindness, figuring out her love language. If you've not heard of a love language, just let us know. We'll get you the book. There's five ways that people generally receive love. We all have them. And one of the ways God receives love is the Bible says, I want you to worship me with some passion. I want you to show me your love. There's a whole book in the Bible. The book of Psalms, is most, almost all of it is, is says at the top, Written for a worship leader, written for a praise leader, written for a choir, written for people to sing. And the very last book of Psalms in Psalms 150 says this. Praise the Lord in the sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise him for his unequal greatness. Praise him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp, the string instruments and the wind instruments. Praise him with the tambourine. Oh, and what's that word? Some of you dads were cutting a rug last night. We do it with our daughters. Why not for God? And yeah, I get it. I, I'm the same way. In my head up here, I'm like Eddie Van Halen. When in reality, I know I'm doing the old white guy. I mean, if it's all I got, if all you got is, if all you got is uncoordinated, off-beat, off off-rhythm, two-step, then two-step your little heart out. Praise Him with the tambourine. Praise Him with dancing. Praise Him with the strings and the flutes. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. How we tell Isaiah, wear it out, brother. Let people hear it. Then it then he goes on. It's funny. He repeats it. It says, praise Him with the loud clanging cymbals. Okay, well, the first time is just a clash. And then he says, no, no, no. Loud. Hit it. I had a drummer one time I played with, and we called him Soft Shoe. 
he would play drums like this. I'm like, that's a drum. Beat the fool out of that thing. Now, sometimes you got drummers, you're telling them, like, you need to tone it down. That's way too much. But here it says, a pra- a, a, praise him with a loud clanging cymbals. Clanging is extended. There's nothing, it's not being held back. Then it says this line, and I love this verse. Let everything that has breath, let everything that breathes, sing praises to the Lord. Again, there are a lot of you, and we know this. That's why all of you would be on the praise team. Some of you can't dance. Some of you don't, can't carry a tune in the bucket. The Bible never says, sing on key, sing the right words, sing at the right time. Clap on the, you know, the one and the three and not the, the two and the four. Sometimes we need some of our brothers and sisters, the black brothers and sisters to help us out because we white folks were struggling. But God says, I don't really care. But we're loud about it. We praise him. It's, a, it's, it's, it's demonstrative. And I go back to this and I want to ask you this question again. Why does your expression at a game on Saturday make you a fan of the team? But on Sunday, it makes you a nutcase. That's the way we see it. Again, I've been to football games. Anybody ever been to a major college football game? There are these brilliant people that paint themselves from head to toe. It's 10 degrees outside, and they're in a pair of shorts, and they're painting their team colors. Guys and girls alike. We're loud. Never, ever, even when your team's terrible, do you go on the stadium and it's quiet. And that, you cheer and scream, and it's okay. We just call you a fan. But if the person beside you this morning started getting a little louder than normal, if, if the person beside you got excited this morning, the world labels them a nut, right? Why can't we do that? It's heard, it's our salvation, it's our healing, it's our freedom. Worship has this sound. You know, there's a, if any of you are, were in the Marines or if you've been to the Camp Lejeune in North Carolina, and I've talked about this before, but this is one of my, there's my favorite things. Camp Lejeune, where the end of the runway is, there's a highway that goes by there, and they actually, they, the noise was getting so loud and people were complaining and they weren't going to change it. And I'm pretty sure this sign is still up there. So they had a sign made and it says this. It says, pardon our noise. It's the sound of freedom. In other words, what you hear, if you want to have the rights that you have, you need to deal with the sound because it's, it's the sound, it's the cost of freedom. It's those men and women training and all the noise and explosions and the jets going over. Because if you've ever been to an air show where there's jets, there's no doubt what went over, right? It rumbles you to your most inward parts. See, I think worship should be like that. There should be some of us brave enough to go, I don't care if you think I'm a nut, but he saved me, you didn't. And there's a great, it's an elevation worship song. And we've never done it, maybe we will one day. But it's a song that says it might get loud in here. It might get a little loud. Why? Because we, want to, we just want to show off? No, because we serve a God who saved us. We serve a God who died for us. We serve a God who's the most passionate act ever of love for me who went to the cross. And yet, we 
we crank up noise outside of church, but in church we give God the, the golf clap. See, what does God want from us? Real quick, and we're going to end, and then we're actually going to do one more worship team today that will fit right along with this. See, God wants us to worship, and he wants, a, he wants us to worship him with our minds, with our heart. He wants to show you love, but he wants us to worship him with our minds. You worship him, God, with, with, with my, my actions, my attention. See, because whatever you love, you think about. You think about the most. Romans 12, 2 says this. Don't become well-adjusted to your culture, that you just fit into it. Instead, instead, fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on, hey, God, I, I, I need to do these other things, but I'm going to focus on you first. Ushers, you guys can go ahead and do your thing. There's things I call the three fives. A lot of preachers will tell you, you've got to get up early in the morning and do it. I'm not a morning person, so I'm not going to tell you to do that. If you want to get up in the morning and do it, but before you go to bed or when you get up in the morning, the three fives. Five minutes of your Bible, five minutes of prayer, and five minutes of worship. You, everybody can do it because you've got Spotify, Apple Music, the radio. You can turn on music and you can begin to worship and use your attention, your mind to worship. God wants us to worship him with our heart, all of our emotions, our mind, and he wants, to, wants you to worship him with your strength. See, worship, don't get trapped that worship is just about music. That's the context I've been talking about it today. But do you know that the people over next door who are holding the babies, loving the babies, praying over them, teaching the kids, the people that met you at the door, the ushers in the room, the band, the everybody serving in the tech booth, they're worshiping God right now because they're worshiping God with their abilities. We worship Him with our strength. We, we do something for God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, that through Jesus, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. Now, does that mean you need to walk around singing all day? Some of you do that. More power to you. But it says, the fruit of my lips that openly professes his name. I'm serving people. I'm using my life to reach other people. Verse 16 says, and do not forget to do good and share with others. For with those sacrifices, or with that worship, say this with me, God is... I think we put a smile on God's face when he sees you pay for the gas at, some, at the pump for somebody, to help somebody do their car with the groceries, to pay for the groceries, to pay for a meal, to tip that waitress who's obviously done a terrible job, has had a terrible day, and they're having a rough go, yet you give them a honking tip. And tell them, I know you had a rough day. I just want to say I love you. And a honking tip means, a honking tip, for those of you who are not from the South, means they need to do a double take. And not because it's Jesus loves you written on there. Don't ever do that. Show somebody. You can serve people when you're worship. Your, your obedience is an act of worship. Serving God and his people is an act of of worship that we can worship today here with our voices 
clapping of hands, guitars, drums, my voice, on key or not, saying, God, I'm, I'm demonstrate to you my love. Demonstrate to you everything that I have. Once you bow your head and close your eyes, just stay seated right where you are. God, thank you for the opportunity to stand and worship you.